stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to talk about an interesting topic that doesn't get much play, but it really should because it's always in the news. We don't really talk about it. And this is the angle we're taking on it today. It's game-changing corporate acquisitions. How can investors spot them? Can you capitalize on them? Can you ever spot them while they're happening? That's a big question, right, Kevin? And uh, we're going to talk about some of the biggest ones only in the last decade, because I feel like if we covered the last 10 years, people are familiar with these acquisitions and who acquired them and all of that. And we can kind of see a little bit better in real time how those acquisitions maybe have played out for these companies and whether or not, you know, we shouldn't have mocked them at the time because <laughs> I know I mocked some of them myself um, and whether or not, you know, these, well, these are the game changer ones. So these did make a big difference to these companies. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, this is a fun topic, not just if you're an investor who wants to make money on the buyout, right. but just understanding the companies, you know, right. did it change a company's business? Were they desperate to buy something and did it work out? Yeah. We, we can do a whole nother show later about the buyouts that didn't work. Right. We're going to talk about ones that we think worked well. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, uh, so back to investing though, I've sort of made a game out of it myself trying okay. to figure out at least in healthcare, which companies might get bought because I run a healthcare portfolio where I can hold as many as 25 companies. And so I'd like to think that many of them are acquisition targets. And we yeah. have been in this, this massive surge of M&A in Biopharma for 10 years. And yeah. we're going to actually mention one of the companies that, that I think sort of got the ball rolling. Um, and my little claim to fame is back in January of 2018, um, on one Monday morning, I call it Magnificent Merger Monday, I had two healthcare companies get bought. Wow. Yeah. Ju okay. Celgene bought Juno and oh, um, uh, who bought uh, BioVerative? I forgot who bought them. But anyway, um, those were both, you know, 75 yeah. to 100% premiums, which is always nice to wake right. up to. But, but, that, I, but I, I haven't hit that again. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the hard part on those biotechs. And, and we're talking about, hey, you know, we decided to do this show yesterday, but this morning we have a $63 billion merger yeah, where Abby is buying Allergan. Yeah. So, um, I didn't see that one coming. Did you? No, no I did not. Um, but I guess, you know, I mean, Abby is pretty mature biopharma. And yeah. I don't know if they're worried about if, if they w need to compete with J&J &J or Merck or Pfizer. Oh, and Pfizer just made a big deal last week. Relatively big. Um, they bought a small biotech for $11 billion. I, I did not own that one, Okay, <laughs> but I keep trying. Yes. Yes. I know we all do, but you can also kind of try, I feel on the tech side, there's a lot of the ones we're going to talk about are more on the technology side. So it seems some of those could be juicy targets going forward too. Um, so let's start with what, and I think we're going to disagree on this, but mm -hmm. I want to start with what I think is the best deal of the last 10 years, okay. the one that was the most transformative. And I'll explain why out of the ones that we've chosen. Okay. And so that would be Facebook's acquisition of Instagram, okay. I believe. And part of that reason is, reasoning is, uh, okay, so they decided to buy them in April, 2012. They hadn't gone IPO yet. 
I forgot about this. So Facebook itself was not had not IPO. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they announced this. I think they went like the next month or two right after that. So it was all this big thing building up to that IPO. Remember, it took forever to, and we're like, just get on with it. Mm-hmm. Like when they went, but then suddenly they announced this this acquisition for a billion dollars is what they bought Instagram for. I think it had twelve employees at the time. It only had thirty million users. And it made no money. And people were like, why are you buying something with 12 employees? Like, and, and myself, I did mock it because Facebook at the time didn't even have any decent revenues so themselves. This, so this is before they went overboard and paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. Yes. Okay. That was later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, they, maybe this gave them confidence. But Instagram, looking back now, only, what, seven years later, it seems like genius that they bought this. And not so much because that platform has really built out, but I feel like it did, it it gave Facebook um, a couple different things in the marketplace. It allowed them to have a totally separate platform from their main product. So they basically have two main products, which... They didn't have before before they got WhatsApp, and now they really have three. But that kind of proved, hey, they weren't a one-hit wonder, at least to Wall Street and investors. And also, I was reading around, and some people theorize because uh, the management of Facebook kind of left Instagram on its own. Remember when they bought it, people thought, it's going to be ruined now. Yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. be like Facebooked and taken over. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't. And the management team, the original founders, stayed with Facebook until just like last year, right, is when they ended up leaving. And that's an enormous amount of time to stay with the acquiring company for six years. So now they're not given as much. That's supposedly why they left, because they were not given autonomy quite so much anymore. But now Instagram is, you know, a competitor with Facebook in terms of the number of users. And, um, you know, they're still growing that user base worldwide. The revenue is, is, they believe, starting to come now. They're figuring out ways to monetize it uh, through the sponsorships, the ads, all of that is going to happen on that. And now Facebook has become kind of like the headquarters of social media with these two platforms. Yeah, and it it couldn't have worked out better for Facebook given their other problems. Well, you know? that was that was going to be my next point. Because of Instagram, I feel like the regulators have not cracked down on them because mm-hmm. Instagram is liked. It's liked by the people who use it. It's just liked more. And so it gives them kind of the softer side. Well, oh, Facebook, it's doing this, it's doing that. Mm-hmm. Privacy, all this. Oh, but Instagram, we like that. And so <laughs> it's given them kind of that buffer to the regulators that otherwise might have gone in against Facebook earlier than what they appear to be doing. And and the reason I say it worked out kind of perfect for them is because, you know, Facebook will go down in history for sort of breaking the universe with, you know, what they did in politics. Um, But they'd already built a substantial business with advertising revenue. Yes. Lots of small, medium-sized businesses could target their customers and find them, and they just loved it. They were getting... Terrific ROI on their ad spend. Oh, yeah. Spend a dollar, make three dollars. Yeah. Um, so since they had built that base, then they are like, okay, now we can turn on Instagram and get advertisers to go over there too. Yeah, and right. so it's it's worked out great for them. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that one is the most transformative 
for yeah. a company. So if so anybody far. wonders why Facebook hasn't, you know, fallen apart because right. of all, all their scandals with data <laughs> yeah. and ads and bad videos, it's because, you know, they built a platform that still works. Right. And if and if two billion people are on there a month, those yeah. are two billion eyeballs that advertisers will pay for, especially if they right. can target their audience. Right. So I do own Facebook, just to disclose, in my own personal portfolio. I did not buy it on the IPO because I did think that Instagram buy was like insanity. It was only later when it was becoming clear like, ooh, Instagram is going to be super huge. It was like a year or two But they later. only paid a billion dollars for yeah. Instagram. I, mean, I know, that's... but at the time that seemed outrageous. Okay. <laughs> Because it was 2012, the Great Recession, only a couple years yeah. in the review mirror. It only had 12 employees or something like that. It was under 20, I think. So people were like, what? That's insane. They have no revenue, nothing. Right. Um, now that seems, yes. We look at that and go, oh, that's so nice. It's so cheap. Um, All right. So now I'm going to do my number okay, one. Okay, yes. Yeah. We and know. by the way, Tracy, we, we picked our top five of... Yeah. But Tracy really came up with four of them, so I should say that, <laughs> and uh, and I only contributed one, and this is my number one, and she's going to have a great one coming up next. That's another media company, which I think is tied for second, as far as I'm concerned, okay. with Facebook. But my number one is Gilead. Uh, okay. Uh, Gilead bought- I had to look this up, because it's a while ago. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. They bought a company called Pharmacet, which had a treatment for hepatitis, hepatitis C. And at the time, there were a couple of drug companies getting into hepatitis C, but apparently Pharmacet had the goods okay. for, a, for a cure, not just a treatment, but a cure that didn't involve anything nasty like interferon, like there were other things that were using interferon. So okay. this was, you know, so this was a game-changing buy. They paid $11 billion, which was like, whoa, what are you doing? Well, right, because didn't they, from when I kind of looked into it, they didn't even have a marketable product. From what I understand. Oh, uh, Gilead? Pharmacet. Oh, Pharmacet, no. Right, yeah. so that's like super risky. Yeah, yeah. obviously the Gilead scientists team did their due right. diligence. Right. They're like, okay, they vetted it. Yeah. Um, and at the time, Gilead's revenues were under $10 billion, let's say $9 okay. billion. But because they brought these drugs to market pretty quickly uh, for, to treat hepatitis, um, which was a big, you know, 180 million people in the world could yeah. could have it. Uh, the revenue soared to over thirty-two billion. Wow! By twenty sixteen. Wow! So it, that changed. Yeah, I would say that's a game yeah. changer. <laughs> right. But isn't this part of their problem now? Is like, what's yeah. next? Yeah, it's been a problem, and and I've uh, I was buying Gilead on the way down. Yeah. From a hundred bucks, and isn't it just, everybody? It hasn't gone anywhere. No. You know, and I've owned it for two years at sixty-five dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not like you're getting a dividend from Johnson and Johnson, but you think you you're waiting for their next acquisition. So what do they do? They go out. Uh, Gilead, you know, even investors were like breathing down their neck. What are you going to buy next? Right, where, right. Where, where's our next home run? We need another grand, grand slam. And they buy Kite Pharma, which is in uh, immuno-oncology, you know, teaching your body's immune system to fight cancer. Okay. Um, and, you know, then they're partnering with other things in gene editing too, a, comp a small company I own called Sangamo. So they're looking for that next home run. Yeah. But it's harder. And the other thing that is sort of, so we talk about how it changed a company. How did it change an industry? I think I think Gilead paying eleven billion for Pharmacet sort of put everybody on notice. You know that this is what big pharma is going to do. They're going to go out and buy new science, be, you know, to stave off. You know, they they call them patent cliffs when the yeah. pipe, pipeline. You know, when the patent 
is no longer valid, and then the revenues drop because somebody else can copy it with a right. bio, biosimilar or generic. So, you know, and that's that's the trend we've seen. So, you know, you you can make money there, and you can also lose money there if you try right. and bet on too many things that you think are going to get bought. What should investors do in in this space, in the drug biopharma space, when an acquisition like this does happen? Is that the time to buy the acquirer? Like, um, should I have bought Gilead when they made this announcement, even though it was risky and there was all this, you know, it's going to... I mean, it was hard to see. If you knew something about hepatitis yeah, um, and that this was a game-changing treatment, that it was a cure. Right. Right. Um, but... But the average person does not yeah, know that. Yeah. And then who knew? And then what uh, I didn't what I didn't understand is how quickly um, the price would come down. So at first, Gilead was charging, let's say, around a hundred thousand dollars, but okay. it was a cure, oh, right? Okay. And the insurance companies would pay it because yeah. a, a new liver costs a half a million dollars. Yeah. But if I can cure you for a hundred thousand, you know, game over. Um, but then eventually they're curing all these people. Then you run out of a patient population. Right. Um, and, and we <laughs> mentioned, good. we mentioned buying the acquirer. Well, today you can buy AbbVie 15% off. Right. Because it's, it's sold down. Off. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to buy Allergan. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm excited for your next one. The here. next one, the Disney, is that yes. what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Disney ticker DIS, this seems so obvious, but at the time, okay. So they've actually basically had two game changer <laughs> acquisitions in the last 10 years. Yeah. And the first one was Marvel. And that was all the way back in the summer of 2009. So just made the 10-year cutoff, basically. And it's hard to think back now, but I, I don't even remember them buying this then because things were awful. It's right. like shocking that they actually did this deal at that time. And paid $4 billion. Yeah, they paid $4 billion, 4.2, I guess it was. It did get the, the usual negativity, but plus also given the times, that was a lot of money. Yeah. It, with the economic conditions worldwide, I mean, the market had only bottomed that March of 2009. And then this was what, August, I think, of that summer. And so, yeah, they bought uh, Marvel and it's 5,000 characters. They kept, they kept saying that, oh, it's 5,000 characters like to, as like justification for why they paid this much. But I looked this up. And so five years later, by 2014 into 2015, they had made eight billion at the box office just wow. on the films off the Marvel films so far. That number is much higher now because we've had like the Avengers and various other ones. I think like several of the others, the Ant Man's, I'm not sure was even out yet. And and it was unclear in 2015 whether or not those secondary characters would do well at the box office because that was risky. And as we now know, they have. <laughs> People just keep embracing these films so far. Um, and this doesn't even include apparel, um, you oh, know, the right. licensing rights, the toys, all that stuff. So they killed it on that. And then to go three years later, October 2012, is when they bought Lucasfilms, oh, okay. a.k.a. Star Wars, for $4 billion again. That, that acquisition, I feel, did not get as much pushback. Maybe because the times had changed a little bit by yeah. 2012, and they were already uh, kind of cashing in a little bit on the the prior one by then, but still four billion for Lucasfilms. I looked this up too, and by October of 2018, so last year, the Star Wars films, just the films, had grossed 4.8 billion at the box office. They paid four billion, so just through the films again, they paid for that acquisition, and it, it doesn't include. 
all of their other stuff again, the apparel, the toys, merchandise, everything else. And now they just opened up that Galaxy Edge uh, land in Disneyland and soon uh-huh. soon in Disney World. I think it's August 2019 for Disney World. And that will be a big driver at their parks, even though they already had Star Wars characters there. But And how know. many films have they made since they bought Lucasfilms? Um, it's not as many as you Three think. Three or four? Uh, it's at least four. Oh, okay. It might be five now okay. with like Han Solo. And what strikes me about this is like, you know, Disney being what it is, you know, this long-term player that these assets are like an annuity. They'll right. just keep paying, you know, they'll, they'll yes. whether it's a theme park or a, a toy right. or a 10 more movies. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so to me, they got a lot of pushback on the Marvel acquisition that turned out to be like genius. And then right. it wasn't so hard for them to do the star Wars one. And if somebody had told you, you know what? Um, there's going to be 20 new Marvel movies in the next 10 years. You'd be like, no. Right. I would never have believed that. Yeah, that's not going to work. Right. Bad idea. (laughs) Right. And again, they have all these other characters. They're still able to- 5,000? That's what they said. Oh, my. I had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) So so stay tuned for more of those coming. But yeah, Disney, and you can see it in the revenue and what their earnings have done, even with their challenges with ESPN- and some of their other stuff, it's, um, you know, this has been a real driver and has really transformed their company, I feel. Mm-hmm. So so that was big, big game changers there. Okay, so let's move on. Um, which one do you want to do next? Let's do... Let's do your Grubhub. Okay. Because you know... This is the smallest out of all these. Yeah, but, but you have followed Grubhub for a while. Yeah. And... What's interesting is we just watched Amazon get out of the restaurant business, yes. right? So it's like, oh, you know, and you you talk to people about this all the time. You know, Amazon is taking over the world. Amazon is the biggest threat to every industry. And yet here Amazon folds up shop and for some reason Grubhub, you know, comes out the winner, right? It does. Uh, but I would argue that Amazon restaurants wasn't really a competitor. Okay. Like for a long time, I've been like, man, that's a waste. You could kind of tell by what restaurants were on it. They were still running it and you were kind of like, why? And then suddenly when they announced, oh, we're shutting this down, it, it wasn't really surprising because they they weren't really in the game. That's one of the times when Amazon has not and succeeded. So, and you know a lot about Grubhub. You're an investor. Um it, what is it that they do different? They help, they're not just food delivery, they're helping restaurants do what? On the back end. Okay, so that's where this acquisition is a game changer. Yeah, well, what for was them. the acquisition yes. we should talk about? Yes, we should tell everybody. <laughs> so in July 2018, they bought a company called Level Up for $390 million. So this is on the smaller end of the acquisitions, but it just tells you that like, it doesn't have to be some huge mm-hmm. billion dollar thing to be a big, big deal. And they do payments and the lo- like loyalty systems. They set okay. up the apps for restaurants. So like Potbelly, they've set up their app. Um, there's a whole bunch of others that, and now that they've been acquired, they're expanding their reach. They just signed Just Salad. They do some of the back end with Smoothie King. So a lot of these big brands. And then they have a big deal, Grub does now with Yum brands. Yum, apparently, I think, is it has invested in Grub to help it oh, okay. design its app. It's designing the app for KFC. And now it'll do the whole back end through Level Up. You mean Grub is designing for Yum? Yes. Oh, okay. They're designing yeah. the app. And they're um, then they'll handle basically everything. They'll, they can set up a loyalty program. 
the orders when they come in now go directly to the kitchen. This allows that. Whereas if you order through Uber Eats or DoorDash or any of these other things for delivery, it just goes right to the front of the house. It uh-huh. doesn't go directly to the okay. back. It's so, like, so Grubhub is a technology platform for restaurants. Now it is. Is yeah. it? Is it also an advertising platform? Um, is it? Does it help with promotion? Yes, because of Grub is now spending more money on marketing to get people to go to the Grubhub site, which then benefits the restaurants. Do restaurants pay more to have top listing in, in any sort know. of way like that? Is there? I don't know how that part okay. works. But you definitely, you know, there is a cost to being on the platform okay. and all of that. But they are dependent a little bit more on Grubhub for keeping everything running smooth all the way through the delivery. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the smaller restaurants... You know, this has been a boom because they they don't even have some of them don't even have their own website, but they allowed to have their menu on Grubhub and all of that. And now Grub is moving to these bigger, the big chains, okay, which is a whole nother thing. And a lot of it is the data. We talk about this mm-hmm. all the time now, and we just did with Facebook too. But if they're handling the entire back end through that app and it's level ups platform basically through Grubhub then they now have all the data on how many times I'm ordering, you know, the Shake Shack to, uh, you know, on a Wednesday night in Wrigleyville or whatever and what I'm ordering. And that all that data is just huge. And this is an investment thesis for for Uber, right, is that Uber is a technology platform and it's also going to collect a bunch of data. And so in Grubhub, you sort of have the proof of concept where where it is working. Yeah. Um, But and like... I was saying Uber Eats is one of its competitors on the delivery uh-huh. side, but they don't have the back end. So when you order through Uber Eats, it's Uber Eats who has the data of who's ordering. The restaurant does not oh, get that. Oh, right. And the restaurant needs that if they can learn how to use it. They, yes. They can use that data if they can right? mine it and model it. Yeah. yeah. So this was huge for Grubhub. Um, it just happened last year. They're still in, you know, integrating, figuring out how to maximize this but even just setting up loyalty programs for all these uh, restaurant chains is huge mm-hmm. because loyalty programs do work. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I really, I really like Grubhub. It has sold off because of all these fears on all these other chains. And DoorDash has basically a valuation of double what Grubhub's valuation really? is now. <laughs> yes. And there's talk of them going IPO now, too. But that doesn't make as much sense to that's me. Like, that's like Slack coming out of the gates here at $15, $20 billion yeah. and 40 times sales. Right. Which is, you know, the top of the universe in yeah. software. and. It's crazy. Right. So, so yeah, these shares have sold off. I'm a big fan. I have not bought them in my own personal portfolio. Uh, the CEO did did dive in when they hit a new low recently, and he bought a million dollars worth of shares because he's trying to send a signal that he believes mm-hmm. in what's going on there. That was his first uh, purchase on the open market since their IPO a couple of years ago. So, yeah, Grubhub on the smaller side, but people – should be watching some of these smaller tech acquisitions. All right, I'll take number five. So okay. just to recap, we've done um, we did Facebook buying Instagram as number one. Yes. Then we did Gilead buying Pharmacet as number two. Yes. Then we did Disney buying both Marvel and then Star Wars, uh-huh. both in the past ten years as you know grand slams. Um, and then we just talked about Grubhub buying Level Up. Yes. Okay. And so before I introduce number five, let me just go back to Facebook for a quick second. Okay. You know, in 2014, Facebook spent $2 billion on Oculus. Oculus, okay. 
VR, virtual that's reality. That's right. I forgot so, about that you know, one. The headset. Like, yes. They're going all tech. And we don't know where that's going, but no. I, I followed that story a little <laughs> bit because the, in, the interesting backstory here is that, um, so, f- you know, Google is famous for their secret labs, you know, yeah. their skunk works where they're doing different stuff, whether it's with artificial intelligence or driverless cars or who knows what. Yeah. And they're, def- they're both definitely experimenting with virtual reality and augmented reality. And Apple has to have their own secret labs too, sure. right? Um, so uh, what's this woman's name? Uh, Dugan, I think. There's a woman who was a scientist at DARPA, which is like the Defense Department secret labs, okay. right? You know, where they make <laughs> stuff you don't know about. She got poached by Google uh, over five years ago to work in their secret labs. Okay. And then Facebook poached her. Oh. Regina Dugan is her name. Okay. Facebook poached her from Google to work in their secret labs, you know, okay. after they bought Oculus. So, you know, there's the, something could happen with this, you know, VR and AR stuff. And I'm, I'm sure it will because yeah. it's like... I. You know, the the you know the smartphone you hold in your hand that's going to evolve, right? Whether it's a, something you clip on your ear or who knows what, and all these companies are working on it. What comes after the smartphone ten years from now, right? So, but we can't call that a game changer. Since no, not yet. That's anything. what. Yeah, they spent they spent. <laughs> too, so it's just like relative uh, to the 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 hugely intelligent buy of Instagram for only a billion. Yeah. Um, you know, that's yeah. what else is going on. All right. So okay. num- number five is uh, Microsoft buying GitHub for seven and a half billion. And Tracy likes this one. I like yeah. it too. I would I would sort of classify it though as the unproven one. Um, yes. It's, you know, relative to... It's recent. I mean, Microsoft is worth a trillion dollars now. So this is a very tiny thing. It could be some kind of game changer. Yeah. And let me just Last explain what it is. So it's a it, right? It's a collaboration platform for developers. Right. So they can go on, share code, work on code together, and um, you know it has a, um, it has what they call a uh, like a, a revision code or process where somebody can go in, you know, change the code, but then that that is tracked. You know, yeah. there's a log, so that developers are you know nobody's going in there and sabotaging right. what somebody built. Yeah. So that's the that's why it's a collaboration tool, and, and apparently it's got like what almost forty million users. Is that how many now? Yeah, because at cr- the time they bought it, it only had twenty eight million. Yeah, I think I think I saw thirty. I think I saw thirty seven million. So in a sense, you could look at it as Mr. Softy goes out and buys a community. You yeah. know, we we love you, developers. You know, come right? come into our fold, and and of course you can they, imagine some of the hardcore developers like they no, were a little scared. Yeah. We, <laughs> We don't want big tech, you know, yes. in our backyard, in our playground. Yeah. And uh, so... This is one that didn't really register with the average investor, though. Right. It kind of was in the news last year, and everyone was like, what's that? Man, yeah. who cares? Exactly. And it was $7.5 billion, which is a decent amount, but with all the cash Microsoft has on hands, it wasn't yeah. really that big a deal. And and the synergy between the, the Goliath buying the little David, I think... You know, works both ways. Microsoft yeah. gets access to all these minds right. doing all this creative stuff, and they can, in a, if they're allowed to eavesdrop at all, they can say, or or um, they have more access to them. And then the little guys, maybe it, it has improved the platform, right. you know, ra- uh, raised the architecture, yeah. made it safer, um, more secure. And then if there's any startup companies that are formed, yeah. You know, maybe they get first dibs on a presentation to Satya Nadella. <laughs> right. 
Uh, I have something else to add to the Microsoft yeah. story because when I was re researching the GitHub, I did, you know, was Googling around and their prior acquisition that we kind of dismissed when we were originally planning the show um, kept showing up in my Google searches. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just take a look to see. So that prior acquisition was LinkedIn mm -hmm. and I had forgotten how much they paid for it. It was a lot, wasn't it? $26.2 yeah. And that was in 2016. They, at, the, at the time, um, that was their biggest acquisition ever. And that was a lot of money for that platform, basically. Now, so 2016, it's basically two, almost three years into that acquisition. So they don't, like a lot of these tech companies, they don't tell us what all these little divisions are doing right. all the time. There's always the secrecy that's going on. But they've said more than some of the others about some of, of their subdivisions. And if it's doing well, they like to talk about it. So they have talked about LinkedIn over the past year or so. And because they're on the, that fiscal year, in their annual report, they have been giving the revenue numbers for LinkedIn. So for fiscal 2018, which ended almost a year ago now, so we're about to get fiscal 2019. So it'll be really interesting to see what it's done over the last year. But in 2018... They had $5.3 in revenue for just LinkedIn, which is pretty strong revenue. You think that's subscriptions or advertising? Yes, through the talent solutions okay. because basically they are a job searching site. So all the employers on it who want access to everyone else who's on it, the employees, the future employees – pay money to get access to that. Mm -hmm. And so that's been that's most of what's driving it. They did have an operating loss of 63 million though in that fiscal year, but some of the analysts said that that was mainly because of the acquisition in 2016. They were still paying off some costs from that. So I'm assuming in this fiscal year that they yeah. may be profitable out of that division and that that revenue is probably growing because they have said over the last couple of quarters they've specifically cited strong LinkedIn revenue growth of like 27 or, you know, 32%. It's a double digits. I'm, I'm more curious about this acquisition now because I it kind of just ignored it. Like, right. Eh. But I mean, what does it mean? They're buying this platform with all these networks of people. And did they, were they really going for, um, you know, the job market revenue? I mean, obviously that would be more important than advertising revenue. Yes. Um, you know, That's or were they, or were they going more for the data, having data on all these people? Uh, I don't know. You know. Uh, it's mainly, it's really like a U.S. based. They now have 610 million users, though, in 200 company, countries as of March 2019. Because it, here's where I'm going, because uh, another big area of software right now are the HR companies, like Workday, Paylocity, right. these companies, where they're not just doing paychecks, they're doing all the things that fall under human resource management. Right. Um, that would be a fold-in, too. So you could see if, if Microsoft is really investing long-term in that direction, they might either, – either they're going to build their own services like a Workday or they're going to acquire one of those companies, too. Yeah, I did I did see some interesting stats on, like, how people use LinkedIn because it is used differently. Only 25% of uh, U.S. adults are on there, have profiles. But it's much bigger if you get into college educated and over mm -hmm. $75,000 in income. So then it's up to, like, 50%, I think. Yeah. So that's, like, a, 
a great demographic to have access to, obviously. But uh, also, there is content generation done on the site, mm-hmm. and but not as much as you might think. It's only like less than one percent posts like a new article weekly, so that's very small. And then I saw this stat that one hundred and thirty thousand articles are published monthly, which is very small. Yeah, considering. Well, what's funny is how often do you ever go and republish? Any of your Zach's content on there? Well, I'm not on LinkedIn. Oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm in the 75. percent I just always forget about it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, we we publish you know half a dozen pieces of content a week that we could easily put on LinkedIn, yeah. and I just never even think of it. The stats, though, for people finding new jobs or jobs off of LinkedIn is really huge. It's, okay. it, it's something like over 30 million yeah. people have found new jobs. I mean, yeah. Off one, of it. Once you have a network of over 500 people. And, you know, it's not like Twitter where, oh, I have 10,000 followers, but, you know, right. just argue all the time. Right. You know, when you, on LinkedIn, these are these right. are supposedly your people in your industry, whatever. Right. Yeah, that's your that's sort of your well to go to. Well, that and the companies are using talent solutions to search by keyword mm-hmm. in your profile right. so then they can find you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, in, in the Microsoft technology theme here and sort of back to GitHub, yeah. uh, I want to remind people about two other acquisitions that happen in the month of June here. Okay. Which are in the similar space. Um, Salesforce, CRM, bought Tableau, data. Uh, so, um, and data right. is data visualization. Um, what's interesting, I don't know if you remember this, when, when Microsoft bought LinkedIn – Mark Benioff was ticked off. The CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff. Oh yeah, because he's like, wait a second, right? You know, you, I remember you, that. You guys get access to all that data. Yeah. Wait, hold on. And because I guess he had just met with some Microsoft executives and like welcomed them with open arms and sh- you know opened the doors to his business and said, oh, this is this is what we do. This yeah. is What we you know. This is how we manage people and capital and, you know, human capital sort of thing. And he felt like right away Microsoft executives went out and bought LinkedIn right <laughs> right behind his back. <laughs> Isn't it interesting also that LinkedIn is not ever really mentioned when you talk about data and privacy and all of that? Yeah. Like it's never even in the equation. They've, they've not called up the LinkedIn CEO up to Capitol Hill no. that I've seen. No, no. So that's but but Mark and Mark Benioff tried to raise that. He said yeah. he thought it was an issue, right? And nobody listened to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. That Salesforce one. All right. So we did our top five. Yes. Now we got to do some honorable mentions here because right. everybody must be wondering, well, what about Amazon? <laughs> they? And how could we not talk yeah. about them? And if you look at my screen here, I brought up a good uh, graphic from a, a research firm called CB Insights. And they've got um, they've got a graphic here of Amazon's acquisition timeline. Obviously, Whole Foods is the big one. Was it like 30, that's the one everyone thinks about? Thirty five billion. Or? Oh, I don't think it was that much. No? I think it was like seventeen, maybe. Oh yeah, okay, it was yeah. in the teens, but still, still big. Yeah, I don't know why I have thirty four in my mind, but um, uh, then uh, other ones that stand out are Twitch, Zappos, um, Ring, and I'll talk about another one, but. But Twitch is the gaming Twitch, platform, big, like yeah, a billion. I forgot about that one. Yeah, and esports. Yeah, and that's like that's sort of like going out and buying a community. I feel like Amazon yes. went out and bought 
the gaming community, yeah. you know, it was a billion dollars is nothing for them. They bought that in August 2014. Yeah, and even if it's not going to be a huge part of their business, I mean, gaming is a hundred. Gaming huge. is a hundred billion dollar business. It is globally. So, but we don't know. See, this yeah. is what I I dislike about Amazon is that if if you're bought by them, it, it, everything about your company goes into the Amazon abyss. Yeah, like, yeah. it's never heard yeah. from again. <laughs> we don't know if it actually makes money. Right. So, but. Yeah, um, Twitch is a great one. Zappos. We forgot about this one. Yeah. This was back. 2009, yeah. I have. So this and, is the old one, too. And this is like reaching out, grabbing a retailer when you're supposedly the anti-retailer. Right. But but for some reason, you know, maybe they, they liked the valuation. Obviously, I think they liked the the founder and yes. the, the product. It was and great the, at what they did. Yeah. And they, they also had the quick delivery and all mm-hmm. of that at the time, which 10 it wasn't, years ago. Because it wasn't just shoes. It was how they catered to the customer in. Right. You could return anything, mm-hmm. even if it was like stolen from your front porch, which did happen back in 2009 with the Zappo shoes for whatever reason. <laughs> they were being <laughs> stolen a lot, um, but they didn't care. They would refund you even if you couldn't somehow return it. But yeah, that that is now bigger than just shoes. It's also apparel and accessories and all of that. So, yeah. All right, let's talk about Whole Foods real quick. The reason I think, you know, maybe they never make, you know, decent money on this, I don't know. But I see it copying what Alibaba is doing in China. In China, Alibaba has partnerships with two different types of grocery stores, and everything's digital. You know, the the, the mobile phone in China, you know, it's it's bigger than it is here. And... So it creates a unified shopping experience. People with their phones can check any price, order, pre-order, you know, shop, have it delivered, whatever. So it's an integrated digital experience in Alibaba's grocery stores. And I think Whole Foods will probably head in that direction. Who knows? Maybe they just wanted to be in natural foods. Um but there's some potential there. I, yeah. I don't it's not gonna change their core business. I thought they I think they thought they would see more synergies than what they're actually seeing. That's just my okay. view of being a Whole Foods shopper and seeing, like, it, at least here in Chicago, so that I don't speak for the entire country. Um, every place is different because I know out in the Bay Area, they are more digital out there. I have a friend who actually works on packing up the orders when they come in for delivery. And there's a ton of them who work at the Whole Foods in the Bay Area doing this. And I was kind of surprised by that because I've never seen the shoppers. She literally goes down the aisles and picks out all the items and puts them in the box. And I've never seen those shoppers here in Chicago. So it could be that they're just, you know, because it's Silicon Valley area, they're more used to ordering online and having this done. But I see people, they struggle to even get people to do Prime in the store like you can get discounts on some stuff but it's not that great and so even like the cashiers sometimes don't even ask you do you, they used to ask do you have a prime number and you'd put it in oh yes but now they don't even and i don't see many people even scanning it off their phone anymore and i do think they thought they could generate more prime membership because this was you know right. tying it in with the grocery store and that Hasn't maybe really happened. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Yes. Just, and obviously Amazon is going to be around for a while to experiment with it. Right. So, it's um, going to take a while. We've also got an Amazon Go around the corner from us here in Chicago. Yes. Um, well, that's a whole other thing. But that's yeah. not acquiring. No, that's no, no, like no. From their own But thing. it is their experimenting yes. in what works and what doesn't. Yeah. In, you know, the, On the food side. Yeah. What about PillPack? Oh, yeah. This is a great one. A $1 billion acquisition last year. 
you know, disrupting pharmacy. Yeah. Um, you know, that's gonna, a new one. So we yeah. don't know yet. Um, it'll, I think it'll have impacts on the industry. So that's, that's sort of the way I look at this. Two other acquisitions recently that will, they may not. These are in the honorable mentions. Yeah. Too. They may not change the company, but they, they could definitely impact the industry. Um, CVS buying Aetna for yeah. $69 billion. So here the pharmacy and pharmacy benefit manager mm-hmm. buys the insurer. Right. I'm surprised that even got through antitrust, but. Um, yeah, you know, who knows? And now they are apparently going to be rolling out like the clinics inside the pharmacy soon. Mm-hmm. And that will be big, I think. And then my last honorable mention is Intel buying Mobileye. Mobileye was an Israeli autonomous car technology company. So they were just right. focused on how do we create the brains and the cameras and the sensors for cars to drive autonomously. And um, Intel bought them for fifteen billion. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah, it won't. It's not going to dramatically change Intel's business, but it it does tell you that Intel is investing for the future. Like they knew they wanted to own a piece of that space because they're looking out twenty years. So you don't think that could be a game changer, or it's too soon? It's only it's, two years into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, Mobileye. I was an investor in Mobileye, and they had some great technology. So okay, you know. So I think it. I think it. It probably could. Um, help Intel a lot in terms of, you know, um, what their sites are set on, right? They're, okay. they're moving into an, a new area and it is advanced technology. Now, I feel like one of the um, downers with some of these acquisitions is that these companies are just so big that even if they make what could be a game changer acquisition, it's only a small, you know, speck of dust in the bigger, like yeah. even a Whole Foods even if that was some kind of big game changer and they're able to do what you described, it's like such a small percentage of the overall business. And some things we'll never be able to measure. Another Amazon one, they bought a chip chip company called Annapurna. Okay. And it's, we'll never know. Right. Any, is, is, they bought it internally for their cloud business. Oh. They wanted to improve the hardware okay. in their cloud business. So it could be a game changer, but we won't know. Exactly. It's yeah. probably making them more efficient in the cloud. And and I told you this morning that uh, uh, an analyst came out and said, AWS you know, is the cloud killer right now. Yeah. Or the, they own the cloud versus Microsoft Azure. Right. Because, and because AWS will just have better margins and, and be able to own that space, whereas Microsoft will struggle. Uh, one more that I looked okay. at and found nothing was NVIDIA. I thought NVIDIA oh, would yeah. ha- would ha- would have had an acquisition. So I went back and looked through the past 20 years, and nothing stood out as changing them. Like, they were already working on it. Okay. They were already, you know, they invented the gaming chips. Um, then they invented the, you know, GPUs that could be used in massive parallel processing for, you know, that is creating the beginnings of machine learning and, and uh, deep learning and AI. But no acquisition... Like they didn't go out and buy that technology. Right. They were already working on it and just bought something to to sort of enhance what they were already doing. Okay. That's Jensen Wong, yeah. one of my favorite CEOs. Yeah, <laughs> me too. So if they ever do buy anything, I will sit up and take notice then yeah. for sure on that one. Okay, let's recap some of the tickers here because we've talked about a lot. But our our top five, I'm gonna go through those first because these are the ones that we feel have had the the big game changing type of acquisitions in the last 10 years, and they are Gilead, G-I-L-D, Disney, D-I-S, Facebook is F-B, 
Grubhub is G-R-U-B and Microsoft M-S-F-T. And then kind of the runners up that there's some great deals, but we just didn't go with them in the top five. And that's Amazon, of course, A-M-Z-N, CVS, Aetna, but it's now CVS, just CVS, Intel, I-N-T-C, and we'll keep an eye on the Salesforce CRM and that Tableau when that goes through and we'll be watching that because data is big and then NVIDIA hasn't had any but if it has one we're gonna we're gonna sit up and take notice on that one too and that ticker is NVDA so this was a fun one are we are we gonna do the ones where it was bad I don't know does anyone care if it's bad but then you do learn know. some investing lessons if it's bad yeah especially if they spend a lot of money then yeah. they, then you can sort of laugh at them right but like a, I don't know. It's not as good as the winners because I was telling you before we started um, rolling on this one that looking into all these great acquisitions and how well they're performing for these companies made me want to buy like every single one of these right. stocks basically. And I only own Facebook and I own Amazon. But other than that, I don't own any of these other ones. So I'm like, eh, I need to go back and reconsider on some of these. Um, As always, I aim to bring you some stock picks every week here on the Market Edge, and you don't know what we're going to talk about. So you want to subscribe so that you get every episode. We have um, our own show on SoundCloud. You can get the Zach's Market Edge there along with the Value Investor Podcast. So you get two for one. We are on Spotify now. And yes, I know many of you are over there. Spotify is like the second largest platform now on podcasting and we're on Apple Podcasts, which is still the the big kahuna in podcasts, but you can get us and any of those under the Zach's Market Edge, but be sure to subscribe and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify I've described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.